Hey guys, it's Aaron. Before we begin today's episode, I'd like to apologize for the last two months of episodes of Millsurf World Podcast. We had some issues, technical difficulties with the June podcast, and as we get closer to my uh, new daughter being born, it's going to be more difficult for me to find time to record and edit. Thankfully, we do have another episode already uh, recorded, and we'll have that uploaded hopefully soon, and that should cover us for August. But uh, this episode is a two-hour one, so if you guys like these two-hour-long episodes, or if you prefer to keep them about an hour, let me know. Uh, you can drop a line at millsurpworld at gmail.com, or you can like us on our Facebook, millsurpworld. Uh, anyway, thank you, and thank you for your patience, and enjoy the show. Welcome back to Millsurp World, the podcast all about military surplus. I'm Danny, and today we are joined by Aaron and a newcomer to the show who is actually a Patreon supporter, uh, Dan Lopez. Hey, Last how's name. it going? <laughs> should, I should have asked you before I said, said you're, you're cool. Yeah, so thanks for having me. His name's generic enough. Oh, I don't care. There's millions of Dan Lopez's out there. That's what I mean. <laughs> yeah, so, uh, all right, so Dan, so you are the new guy to the show. So we ask everybody the first time on the show, the question of um, how did you get into military surplus firearms? Oh, well, um, I was actually in a pawn shop and they had a, uh, I, I was looking for an AR, right? Looking to get my first AR and they had a uh, number one uh, Mark three hanging on the wall behind the counter. And it was cheap. It was like 150 bucks. And I was nice. like, I'm not going to pass up a, a cool looking rifle. It was a nice shape, you know, cool looking rifle for, you know, 150 bucks. So I bought it and uh, it took them four hours to run the background check because oh. uh, it was an Ishapur number one Mark III. And oh. uh, yeah, the, um, the background check goes through the state police and apparently they didn't know what and Ishapur was. <laughs> <laughs> so it took them four hours to to get back and say, yeah, you can take the rifle home uh, because they'd never heard of Ishapur. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Uh, what state was that? Oregon. So, uh, or it was just a new person who was really, really bad at their job. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's a crazy long wait time for one. Like, oh yeah, like good. I I never waited that long <laughs> on on a, a gun purchase. Usually it's two to five minutes at most. Yeah, because because you know they, I I'd bought tons of other modern guns you know before, but that was my first Milserp, so they probably yeah. freaked out. <laughs> so that's so that's the one that got you the old uh, the old smelly. Yep, and. Uh, it was a, a 1920 uh, manufactured gun, which I later found out they didn't make a whole lot of because it was right after the war. They kind of stopped making guns for a few years. So it was not a common rifle. And that's actually what got me hooked into Millserps was not the gun itself, but like that they, they, they made, I think it was 1,200 rifles that year. So... It was not, you know, it was, it was a rare gun and I had it and I was like doing research 
you know, on, on other mill strips that I saw in pawn shops and whatnot. I was like, oh, these are not very common guns. So I bought them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's what hooked that's, me. Yeah, that's a, that's a good way to start. I wanted I wanted something that um everybody else at the range didn't have. Yeah, for sure, man. You can break out some old guns at the ranges and people give you some weird looks. No matter oh. what type of gun you bring out, everybody calls it a Mauser. <laughs> uh, it's not here. It's a Mosin every time for me. <laughs> I've uh I've never had anyone mistake my guns for something else they always just ask what the heck is that <laughs> that's cool what? Aaron Aaron likes getting that Aaron likes guns <laughs> that people are like what the heck is that that is my oh, yeah. basic idea of my collection I think it's so you're known as the the gun hipster Aaron right yes that's true uh, and he's also so he's the gun hipster but uh, more importantly he's going to be the uh, the, the Mon liquor aficionado of the uh, of Millsurp world, who like Ooh. knows all the stuff that that everybody doesn't know about him. That's a that's a good thing to be. Mm. Everyone everyone needs an aficionado of some something no one else knows about. Well, um, we usually talk about our latest purchases, but I haven't bought anything. But I have agreed to do a trade for five more M ninety fives. That's you know I've I've never shot a mon liquor before neither is danny really uh, yeah i haven't i haven't shot mine i shot my uh i shot the hungarian 35m well it's just that's like the closest to of, it yeah i mean it's kind of i think it is a mon liquor action but it's not a straight pull action for sure yeah yeah i, I want to shoot mine i have a yeah a little uh, m95 carbine and I'd like to shoot it. I know it's just going to kick a lot and have a lot of, like, muzzle blast. Oh, Danny, <laughs> you're, you're making me hurt inside calling it a carbine. What, what is what? it? They didn't have carbines unless you have a cavalry carbine. What's the word, Danny? I've told you the word before. Oh, the, the what is it, uh, Stutzen or something? Yes. So they had long rifles, Stutzens, and carbines for the cavalry. Carbines had no bayonet, lug, and no stacking rod. So the ah, so the so the configuration that well the the problem is you're never going to find a car, a cavalry carbine unless you're extremely freaking lucky because they converted most of them into uh, the Stutzen variation because it was kind of silly to have no stacking rod or bayonet lug and be like everybody else. <laughs> yeah. So so to me, I call all like milserps that have like a. A barrel length under 20 inches, I just call them carbines around the 24-inch sweet spot, short rifles, and longer than that, long rifles. So I just lump it in there. We've That's... had this argument before. <laughs> yeah, a gun, old gun nomenclature, man, is such a wormhole. It, it really depends on the down, country. But it's the especially country, if man. they're a German-speaking country, it's real crazy. Yeah, they had carbines, they had Stutzens, they had long rifles. Well, they didn't even call them long rifles, they were just the rifles. Yeah, what I've what I've gotten a lot of crap for is about uh, German rifles and like uh, you know carbines or carabiners, calling them um, what the reason why certain guns are labeled carabiners and other aren't and stuff like that. And um, I got an argument with a guy online about uh, the it's a carabiner if it has a side sling, fine and 
thing of it. It's not like not the markings, not the whatever. If it has a side sling, it's a it's a carabiner. <laughs> and that's getting and, awful specific. Yeah, it's like there's I mean, there's some like Gewehrs like that had side slings and they definitely weren't. Yeah. But there's a lot of there's a lot of like nuance to to or, let's see what we can make somebody angry about before. Let's see how many how many how many guns we can mispronounce and, and make people angry in this episode. Or um mis mis miscast, I guess, mis uh mislumped together. I don't know what the word is. Misidentify. Misidentify. We, we miss go. we misgendered the, the firearms. Yeah, there we go. I uh I take a much more um easygoing approach to those things if if I know what you're talking about, I don't care what you call it. <laughs> if, uh, yeah, if you want to throw in short rifles and call them a carbine, I know what you're talking about. I don't care. Sorry if that offends people. <laughs> yeah, it's it's really weird, man. What you'll what you'll make you know people like old gun people because there's so many like myths and stuff you know surrounding these old guns. So it's like it's hard to agrees on everything and then some people believe in you know things that were knowledge you know 40 years ago with these old guns and forever and it's hard to it's hard to break people of a lot of this old timey you know misconceptions oh yeah oh I, I i love talking with people and and finding out the things that that they believe is just just common knowledge and then you ask them like where that came from and it's just something they heard from you know their friend who heard it from his uncle who heard it from his grandpa like heard it from a guy at a gun show <laughs> yeah yeah like the uh the ping from the garand yeah that, uh, yeah that's people, one that people killed <laughs> yeah one of one of bloke's best videos he did on that one i'd say it's it's one of my favorite ones that he's done Oh yeah. For the people that don't know the video, Bloke did a uh he did like a, a sort of test where he wore like the standard, I forgot the brief, was it like the 1923 cartridge belt, you know, that has the uh the in-block clips in it, his M1 at a range, and then had somebody try to like charge at him or something, like it and see how long it took him to reload to see if it would have killed him or something like that. Like they they had a trouble at the range with his friend hearing the ping like over the gunfire and with all the other sounds and stuff like that. So it was like that. It's just, it's, yeah, that's, that's pretty much BS. But then you get, you get channels like the history channel that really like propagated a lot of that stuff. Well, it, I will give the credence though, that it was investigated by Aberdeen to use different kinds of clips that would lessen the sound, but they decided that it was ultimately unnecessary. Huh. Yeah, it's like what? It's like what? Danny. With all the other with all the other sounds going on, <laughs> sorry. I was drinking. The other other sounds and stuff going on, it just seems to be like on combat maybe. If you're like a lone ranger with your M1 and like you're alone in the jungle with like some, you know, with a bunch of Japanese soldiers on your tail and nobody's shooting, nobody's making a sound and you shoot and they hear the ping like that's a that's like the worst case scenario there, and then you got a bunch of you know guys bonsaiing you, you, and you have to reload. But then it doesn't take that long to reload, and what's the odds that they'll 
But yeah. then like, if you're, if you're not alone, like 99.9% of the time, you're not going to be alone. And the guy next to you will just shoot him. Exactly. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's, it's really interesting that that, like people can't play out the whole scenario in their heads and just kind of know like, oh, that's got to be BS. The, in, the, in the U.S., we do have this sort of like lone ranger mentality when it comes to like combat or something, like the lone rifleman or something. Well, that stems back to all the way back into American military history all the way through time. It was an, an idea of individual marksmanship. That's why, that's why we adopted the crag. The crag is a terrible service weapon, but it's an amazing uh, target rifle and an amazing uh, rifle in controlled conditions. So as a shooter of a crag, which I personally have, and Danny has as well, it's an amazing rifle to shoot. It's not a very good service weapon. Um, I, I think it's... I guess I'll, I'll push back on that a little bit because it's good for what they wanted at the time, but not it, it, it's not as good after the 1890s with the Mauser came out. Like they, they did not want the ability to reload quickly. So the terrible magazine design <laughs> wasn't important to them, but then stripper clips and the, uh, They wanted the uh, they wanted the ability to reload without opening the bolt. Yes. Oh, didn't it was they wanted. It was the Danes. Didn't the Danes develop a uh, stripper clip for the crag? Yeah. Yeah, they did. That, they, that, they had one. Yeah, it could have been done. They just also wanted a rimless cartridge. Yeah, the uh, the rimmed cartridge was its, was its downfall, <laughs> as as a a good military rifle. I really want a Norwegian crag because it's in 6.5 Swedish and it's, uh, and it's, it's everything you know, 6.5 Swedish for you, Danny. Yeah, I want Well, I want all the 6.5 rifles in general. I want them all. Yeah, they're all amazing. <laughs> I'm slowly working my way through the list of 6.5s, but I keep getting, I keep getting sidetracked. What, uh, what all do you got so far? And 6.5s, uh, well, a bunch of Swedes. Um, I have the, you know, the uh, Carcano. Um, I just got, this will sort of branch into a little, the recent purchases. I just got a couple of weeks ago a, I forgot, but I got a Type 38 carbine. Nice. Japanese Type 38. I've been wanting one of those for a while, and I've been looking for one that's got, like, all the accoutrement. I wanted one with a mom, and it, like, wasn't terrible shape. <laughs> so i found one that had you know all those and it's not it's not matching that's like the only bad thing about it but it's got it's got everything else going for it and the price was really good so oh well can't beat that yeah i know uh the dutch i have a dutch uh m95 the little the bicycle carbine that has the wood on the side of the uh, magazine huh I don't, that's a pretty I don't that's a pretty I'm... neat little gun i don't think i've ever seen one of those in person it's it's uh so it's it's like a monlicker schonauer type design it shoots a 6.5 cartridge 6.5 by 53 r it's kind of neat they were used a little bit by the germans in world war ii i mean the germans used everything in world war ii but they were used a little bit in world war ii there's video footage of them uh, being handed out to volksturm like at the very end of the war there's like oh. a famous picture of a of a guy 
who was the driver. He was like, he, uh, he was a general's driver, a Dutch M95 carbine in a car, like as his personal weapon. Um, probably just because it was so much shorter than everything else he had access to. Nice. Yeah, I love I love those little short rifles. Me too, man. I'm a big I'm a big fan of of carbines. I I, I don't know why, but I I just love like the little short short little rifles. I just uh, a little while ago picked up in uh, 1891 Argentine uh, cavalry carbine. Oh, that's cool. And uh, man, because I I have a rifle, and the rifle is like uh, wonderful to shoot. It it doesn't kick hardly at all. It's a the seven six five Argentine is a great little cartridge. That it's a shame it wasn't more popular. But uh, the cavalry carbine <laughs> kicks like a mule. <laughs> yeah. I I did, after shooting the rifle, I did not expect it to. Uh, to kick that much yeah, that's that's one of the reasons why i like 6.5 so much especially the little short carbines in 6.5 because they don't they don't beat you up as much as the bigger caliber ones but they still do like up like down range but they don't beat you up so much oh yeah uh what i like i asked you earlier um i got a buddy who has a uh, m41b sniper rifle that, oh yeah uh, yeah, <laughs> that uh, Ian says is the best sniper rifle of World War II. So yeah. I, I might get my hands on one of those soon. That's sweet, man. Yeah, that's that was on my list for a while. When I got real, real hardcore into Swedes, I was like, I have to get a Swedish sniper. Like, I got the Jungmann, and then, like, pretty much, like, the last thing besides, like, rare variant Mausers would be the uh, 41 snipers or something like that. But that's, yeah. a, that's a sweet sweet rifle well danny uh what's our topic for today okay so the topic yeah uh the topic is by military requirements so uh this is going to be talking about how during certain trials especially in the 30s and 40s much gun manufacturers or maybe inventors put forward designs that were pretty revolutionary they're shut down or made to change or somehow made to like fit these kind of arbitrary military requirements that ultimately made a worse off rifle they had intended. And then uh, I figured we would just go through these by country. Well, I, uh, I know a bit about the, uh, American ones. (laughs) Yeah, that's cool. That's one of the reasons why I wanted you on the show is because the, the Johnson rifle I put it on. I put it on the list because because of what you told me about the. Uh, kind about of the. Uh, can you hear me? Yeah. So I put the I put the Johnson rifle on the list after what you told me about the the magazine, Dan. Oh yeah, that uh, man, that still rankles me to this day. <laughs> huh. That uh, it yeah, Johnson got uh, got shut down. Real hard because the military was stubborn, like they always are. Yeah. So, uh, so in his original design, full had a box magazine, correct under underneath it. Yes. At least a five or a ten round capacity. It seemed to be a pretty ten, decent capacity. Ten, ten, ten round detachable box magazine. Um, yeah. So it it was 
similar in function to the uh, SVT. From from what I can gather, I haven't got my hands on one because I think there there was four made. Yeah. Um, so for, do you think trials. he took? Do you think he took direct like inspiration from the SVT? I I don't know. Um, I don't know whether he saw the SVT because the SVT was still a brand new rifle at the time. Um, he he was designing his rifle in you know 1938 and 39, which is when the SVT 38 was adopted. And uh, I don't know whether he would have actually seen one or not, but I doubt it. I I think there was a lot of people experimenting with box magazines, you know, at that time. Um, yeah, I think uh, yeah, that makes sense. I think he probably um, took it more from because it looks like a BAR magazine, uh, and and my understanding was the early test rifles used BAR magazines, um, so he probably took it more from that than the SVT. Yeah, but yeah, that makes it, sense. Yeah. Oh, I was going to say it. It looks like because it doesn't have a. Uh, a magazine well it looks like it it rocks in and out like an svt so yeah, that's pretty cool i think all of them did that they all kind of rocked in all the ones that i can think of yeah i mean it's an easy reliable way to design a magazine so can't really go wrong with rocking in and out <laughs> yeah so the the next one on the list for the for the us would be the um Oh, wait, well, I'll talk a little bit more about the, the Johnson rifle. So Johnson had had the box magazine. Yep. No, no, we're not doing that. We're not doing a box mag and having to introduce that. Probably the logistically and everything was going to be a nightmare for them. So they uh, Johnson redesigned the magazine to accept stripper clips, right? Well, no, it wasn't. It wasn't necessarily that. Um, what the army wanted was, so, so the Johnson rifle, um, the, the bolt, uh, rides in, it, it, it's a multi-lug rotating bolt. It, it looks exactly like an AR bolt. Um, but it rides in a track, uh, on top of the receiver. That's what controls the, the rotation. It's got, and Ian from Forgotten Weapons has a, a whole, video on how the bolt works but it rides in a track on top of the receiver um and the army said we don't want people to carry you know box magazines we want it fed by stripper clips and because the bolt rides in in the receiver and and the top of the receiver johnson couldn't just you know take that off and have have a provision for reloading stripper clips so he had to come up with a whole new magazine that reloads stripper clips from the side instead of from the top like you know like an svt or any other rifle of the time reloads straight from the top of the receiver well his reloads from the side which is why he has the the helical or the rotary magazine instead of a box magazine right and and then it, just like the m1 they also didn't like the idea of um uh, detachable magazine uh, because this is leftover thoughts from World War One uh, with uh, uh, dirt and muck getting into the the openings and rendering the rifles useless. You got to remember, there's a lot of 
a lot of people that were in charge were also not were, went through the experiences of World War One, and they're still really leery about stuff that's happened back then, and <clears throat> they're worried that improvements haven't really come as fast and as quickly as we have, because it's what twenty five years roughly from the end of World War One until D Day. So you got to think that. And, and in the middle of that, you have a gigantic economic depression across the entire world. So, like, not everybody's really super big on the idea of spending a lot of money on improving stuff. So, there's still a lot of thought process way back in the day. Just like we have in, you know, the beginning of World War One, where people were thinking it's going to be like the old days of pre-machine gun warfare. And then it goes into a, a massive slaughter fest. But it's just like that at the beginning of World War II as well. It's just like, well, it's going to be like World War I. Yeah. Well, I mean, also at the time, it was cheaper to just you know, mass-produce stripper clips and not box magazines. Exactly. And there's always a fear that they're going to lose them. It always comes down to money, Danny, as we've discussed in the past. Yeah. Yeah, I guess the thing that's so, like is that the M1 is it's it's so easy to convert M1s to like fit BAR magazines isn't that what the Italians so did yeah yeah that's what the well I don't know if it's straight up BAR mags but yeah the Italians they did convert them with the BM BM59s I think is what they're called but yep like there's they're so easy to convert it almost makes me think that it was designed for it I'm not sure if it was but I it almost was. makes me feel like it was designed it was. Oh, it was. It was. It sent could have back. happened. It was sent back just like the Johnson was. They didn't want it to actual magazines. Well, but also at the time that Johnson designed his rifle, which is a, a short recoil system, there's no gas system. The uh, Grand was still a gas trap rifle at the time, which is not the best gas system in the world. <laughs> and that yeah. was one of the that was one of the points Johnson brought up. Uh, when his rifle was going through testing, is there's there's no gas system to to fail. It doesn't get dirty. Um, you can't bump the like bend the gas tube or dent it or whatever. It's, his rifle's gonna work every time. It's very simple. I I think uh, I think in the late the late thirties when a lot of that development was going on, like it was thing was brand new, and so people went in all sorts of crazy directions. Um, you had, yeah, you had guns, you know, using the, uh, what was it? The long recoil system. I know the Shoshaw used that. Don't know many other rifles that did. It was, uh, it, was it was yeah, long, long recoil. Go ahead. Uh, there was a lot of experimentation with gas trap designs. Like the, uh, the M1 was a gas trap rifle. The, uh, Germans were experimenting with gas trap rifles. Um, I don't think the Russians bothered with that. I think they went straight to a short stroke piston. It was like the Shoshaw was was a uh, long recoil. Um, piston actuated systems were pretty new. Um, oh, yeah. And the SVT pretty much pioneered like the short stroke piston system. You know, what, what Grand did and made the, uh, it, what Garen did and he, he made the, uh, the, the, the long, long stroke recoil. Well, uh, long stroke recoil systems had been around for a while. Like the BAR is a long stroke system. Browning pioneered that. But uh, yeah, uh, what did Garand 
came up with a, a really he, he paired that with a rotating bolt is what he did and came up with a, a very good action i mean the, the m1 is a good rifle it just i i think there were other options that were better <laughs> yeah yeah um time ago this is a little bit off off topic but i remember a long time ago with the with the m1 i was i was talking to some guys about it and i was saying like that the the biggest problem with the M1 to me is the huge hole in this, the side of the receiver down like into the action and the, like the yeah. like the bolt and everything. The big like trap, like just like gunk and anything could just fall in there and gum up the gun. Oh yeah. Crazy man. Like this is this is maybe like 10 or 15 years ago or something when I was first getting into guns and then um even forgotten or in range did the <laughs> uh, the mud test of the M1. I'm I'm still waiting for them to test an SVT. Oh yeah, yeah, that's true. I uh, I want to see how that performs in a mud test because it's a, a very much it, the bolt is much more enclosed and it's a proven yeah. short stroke tilting bolt is a very proven design that went on to be used in a lot of other very successful rifles. Yeah. I wish they would just be a little bit more. I know it's like nitpicky, but I wish they'd be a little bit more scientific with their like mud testing. Because <laughs> when the when the government does the mud tests, they have a specific type of sand that they use, and they take us like a certain amount of it and a certain amount of water, and they mix it to a certain like viscosity, and they do it every time. And I feel like that would be it wouldn't be super hard to do that. You could go to like a like a Home Depot or something and get a bag of sand full of the sand mix it with a gallon of water until you got a certain consistency that you like and then bam use that same exact mix with the same exact sand same about amount of water every time then really see what happens because like it seems kind of hit or miss like with them because they use just random dirt yeah Arizona. and i don't know anything about arizona sand or rocks or mud or whatever but Random like the pebbles and stuff in it, like you know, you could get a random pebble. I'm pretty sure one of their tests I saw, there's just like this random little pebble found its way into a vital area and stopped the gun. And it's like <laughs> the opinion on that gun would have been changed forever had that little pebble not made its way into that, you know, sand. Realistic that way, like you're gonna find, yes. you know, like like you're gonna find that, you know, random dirt. You know, if you're if you're gonna drop your gun in, in mud, it's gonna be like real world dirt. But it's like, you know, you have to get that tiny little pebble into all of them if you're gonna get it into one. You know. Well, that so, sounds like a great project for you to do now. And I've, I, yeah, I thought about <laughs> it. You know, uh, uh, Tim with the Military Arms Channel. I think he stopped doing them, but he did a fairly scientific routine and he did something like that with his with the mud that he used i kind of like that idea well right. shoot maybe uh maybe i'll try doing that one of these days with some of my guns yeah do do it with your with your johnson man i i think i i will i think that rifle um i can't imagine anything that would stop it short of like actually packing the receiver with mud like with the bolt open it's it's just it's it's very simple like and and the receiver's closed off the uh 
the only downside when when compared to the grand is accuracy yeah yeah man tell you what when you mud test it <laughs> gotta put it up on the milsop world youtube channel yeah well you know what um maybe maybe you'll have to come out here and go visit that one store again see if they've got any other 35 m's <laughs> uh, yeah i've been looking for an excuse to go out west man i miss it out there dude uh but yeah let me know if you do we could i got the johnson got a uh sniper svt got a yeah. G, well you're gonna i don't know if i should say it i uh i got a g41 but that might be irrelevant soon <laughs> yeah well, hopefully I'll have one pretty soon. All I'm right. like, I, I'm, I, I have one. I have one in the works. I wasn't sure if I could say that on the channel. <laughs> yeah, no, it's okay. You're yeah. Off. We're not allowed to be on anymore. Oh you're, no! You're officially uninvited because you you have something that Danny doesn't have, and it's always wanted. <laughs> well, shoot, then. Uh... It's okay. Uh, Just tell them that Swedish uh, Mausers are pieces of crap. And we'll be good. Oh, everyone knows they're the worst. <laughs> oh boy, triggered. <laughs> All right. Well, the uh, the next. The, okay, so the next country to get into. This is one I really like talking about. Um, but the uh, the German, the German weapon programs. How how are you gonna gonna talk about early semi-autos and leave off Pedersen? Oh, oh, yeah. Sorry, I was skipping straight from U.S. to to German. Go ahead. Yeah, I'll let you. I'll let you. I'll let you roll. I'm still salty that the United States didn't adopt 276 Pedersen. <laughs> like that, yeah. they they had a seven millimeter small bore, almost intermediate cartridge that could have replaced 30 out six, and and they uh, it was General MacArthur. Yeah. Said nope, we're, we're sticking with thirty out six because we had a shitload of thirty out six already made and money. Once again, <laughs> yeah. Which which yeah. So the thing confuses me because his, his excuse was you know we've got millions of rounds of thirty out six and you know the machine guns use thirty out six and we don't want to use two different cartridges for the machine guns and the rifles, but. That's what we do nowadays anyways. Which is like, complete bullshit anyway, because like even if you get into the larger guns, eventually the US fields two different seventy six millimeter anti tank guns, which are different caliber guns. <laughs> oh man. See that's the thing with these with US gun like the US military trials and the whole mindset and everything was so different. Like it changed so much in just a couple of years before the war and after. Because before the war, like, no, we're not spending it. Like, they're really pinching pennies. They don't want to spend any money on these newfangled box magazines. They don't care. They want their guys to use stripper clips. And... I mean, Danny, I, th there was the Great Depression. You, you know. Well, then, then why are they doing rifle, new rifle testing, anyways? Well, it's it, the the idea is that. The the onset at the end of the war, there there were some designs that had come out, and it was pretty obvious that the 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 long rifle really wasn't necessary. So you start to see ri uh, rifles, uh, bolt action rifles, be shortened. 
So you start to see them be shortened into something that's a little bit more easy to carry, a little bit, a little bit easier to move around with. So it was, it was deemed unnecessary to have long rifles because your engagement distance isn't that far. So the, and then you also see prototypes of semi-automatics and then you also see the full automatics come out and you see this idea that, okay, maybe, maybe it isn't such a bad idea to give our troops something that's semi-automatic because then at least, you know, they, they have volume of fire and uh, you can do covering fire a little bit easier and it, the idea being that the more lead you're throwing down range than your opponent, then you're going to be able to keep them down or take them down. So this, this idea comes across all the countries, and, but the U.S. is really the only one that pushes more so than all the other countries. Because, I mean, the development for semi-auto has been around since, I mean, since Mondecker came up with it back in the 1880s. It's not like this wasn't a new idea, it was just that it wasn't ever pushed. Because it was deemed unnecessary. It was unnecessarily complicated, unnecessary expense. Um, you would have to, like, there was all kinds of excuses. There was excuses that, it, it, like, I read one excuse for the Army. Um, if it had a detachable box magazine, they'd have to train, tra change their drill, right, the drills. And it's like, yeah, you'd have to change your drills. Big fucking deal. <laughs> Yeah, you know. Okay, all right. That's great. Oh, that's so difficult. But yeah, yeah. BF, BFD for a better, for a much better rifle. Make the guys have a worse rifle so that they can look good on parade. Yeah, but yeah. The, the, the M1 was originally two seventy six. Well, they trialed one in two seventy six, but it it wasn't originally two seventy six. Um, they they weren't sure which caliber they wanted because at the same time they uh, were, were trialing 276 Pedersen with Pedersen's rifle, but they also trialed a uh, Pedersen in 30-06 and a Garand in 276 and 30-06. So they, were, they weren't sure what they wanted to go with. And then MacArthur finally was like, no on the 276, put his foot down, even though it's ballistically superior in every way. Especially for a shoulder-fired rifle. Yeah, I think the the whole argument is that like you have to have a thirty caliber cartridge in the machine guns. Like even like the Italians, they used a thirty caliber cartridge in their in their like breed of machine guns and stuff like that. They did have some six point fives, but thirty caliber um, projectiles are versatile. Than just ones even like uh, just a little bit smaller, like in seven millimeter. So like. I can get where where it comes from with the field two different cartridges, but kind of like I was saying before, like these how the the whole mentality like switched after you know after war were declared <laughs> because they they went in and they you know they were giving people Thompsons you know in forty five and then they they created the the M one carbine thirty carbine and it takes magazines they had to produce these all these new like magazines for this one gun. So you got, you know, you essentially have three different, like one company of men or one squad of men could be like, could be fielding at any one time. Crazy. Yep. And they were still using 1903s as grenade launchers and squads. So then even though like, at least he shot 30 out six, like the guys with the M1s, but he had to have stripper clips. He couldn't have in block clips. <laughs> it was 
Yeah, like the the sort of like logistical and the cost part, like as soon as you get into the war and start dropping the big bucks, it's like, yeah, that was real dumb. You know, but, yeah. uh, but you're stuck it, with the like the nitpicky. It's all ahead of time. They're all thinking about this without like a war going on. So they're all like not worried about that kind of stuff. They're worried about you just when you get nitpicky. Yeah. It's just like, oh man, it's real frustrating because you see them and it's like all oh, M1 carbine and produce all those magazines and stuff, but you can't have an M1 rifle that has a, you know, 10 or 20 round magazine. That would have been, that would have been amazing. Like the M1 and World War II that used BARO magazines, like an M1 with the 20 round capacity, that would have been like our Patton's quote about the M1 would have really been true if the M1 had a, had a 20 round box magazine. If that's the case, then why wasn't the M14 the best gun ever created? <laughs> oh, dude, by the time it was created, man, it's done too late. Like, past 42, like, so many... After 1942, there's too, there's too many good designs out there that just... Won. It's a good thing we accepted it into 19, by 1965. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I know, that's really nuts. Let's just... Yeah, we're gonna get some very people angry at us about the M14. Uh, yeah, that's not that's not really our topic of today. <laughs> yeah, but you said no, we have, oh, to, we have M, to make people angry. If the M1 had a box mag and carried twenty rounds, oh, you mean an M14? Well, yeah, I mean, yeah. and I'm M14, talking from the perspective of World War II, though. Yeah, at at the time, it would have been great up until you know forty, the end of the war, probably. Yeah, and an uncontrollable full auto gun is amazing. Oh, yeah, then then you got the Germans coming out with the MP thirty three and forty four, the STG forty four. Yeah, and really, really late war, the Soviets were fielding SKSs. Yep, and yeah, it, it yeah military that the U.S. military acquisitions is always stubborn about fighting the last war like yeah that's the saying right militaries they fight the the last war that they were in something like that yeah i mean it makes sense you go back and look at the requirements the we'll get into this the the gewehr 41 the requirements for that that's straight out of world war one yeah yeah let's yeah let's jump into german guns now um the the gewehr 41 program dan what uh what about it it was a train wreck <laughs> yeah all right it's crazy all the stipulations i have the stipulations right in front of me when you read them yeah yeah, yeah. number one no whore, no holes were be de- no whores but no holes were to be bored into the barrel <laughs> for tapping gas for the loading mechanism which means you got to come up with some other dumbass way of doing it <laughs> gas trap uh, yeah so gas yeah uh number two the rifles were not to have any moving parts on the surface all right, that make, that actually kind of makes sense a little bit. Number three, <sighs> in case the lo- auto loading mechanism failed, it had to have a bolt action. <laughs> that is pretty weird. That sounds retarded. That sounds that's a requirement yeah, that's by like, somebody that I mean, doesn't all... understand what guns do. No, yeah, someone whoever, yeah. Wh- whichever party member came up with that never held a gun in his life. <laughs> that's one of those things that makes sense yeah to someone who's never shot before and it's like okay if the gun fails you can work it as a bolt action at least but i mean they all have charging handles on them you can just 
charge it, you know? Well, I mean, some of them don't, but that, yeah, that's... yeah, I guess the the old the old Jungman. Nope, <laughs> no charging handles on that. <laughs> so what go ahead, Aaron. You got you got the rest of them. Oh, that was the main three. Yeah, yeah. So that's crazy. So the G forty one program. So Mauser, they were like Ma- the teacher's pet, and they like stuck with it, and they did all of those things. They pulled it off. The the mad lads. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think Ian calls it a mouse trap. Yeah, that's. So I have that's, some. That's crazy. That's what you get. I have some interesting statistics in front of me here. You ready? Six thousand six hundred and seventy-three of the Mauser variation, which had all of the stipulations met, were produced. That's it. Six thousand six hundred seventy-three. Of those, one thousand six hundred and seventy-three were returned because they were unusable. They were they were not functional. That's twenty five percent of the entire production. Huh. Wow, wow, that's something. That's it's crazy. Whenever you have like a like a competition like that, like the G forty one program, you have a company that does exactly what you want. You know, Mauser, and then you have another rifle next to it, the Walther, and they just kind of ignored most of it. Just straight yep. up ignored it. Just straight up two ignored two it. out of three. <laughs> and then the and then the yeah the officials look at it and go like oh yeah well that's it we'll take it and it's like you know how mad Mauser must have been like the Mauser company the guys that like threw that gun to meet all those stipulations you know how mad those guys must have had to have been because of like Alan when they do all of it and Walter won you know I wouldn't be surprised if that's the reason why they also adopted the Mauser because they were both adopted yes um, and they were they were both fielded. And I wouldn't be surprised if that's why Mauser was like, hey, we did everything you wanted. You've got to adopt our gun now. <laughs> yeah, and then the 25% failure rate, and they're like, no, no. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't think, I think it was one of those things where they maybe, they made enough and sold enough just to sort of recoup, like, their, the costs of, of designing it. And and also the Germans, they just needed semi-autos. They didn't care. They're like, yeah, we'll buy anything. Like, oh yeah, they were they were buying it all. So, well, you also got to think about it from this perspective too. Is that they didn't know it was going. I mean, some of these issues became readily apparent after use, not during small testing. You know what I mean? That 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 is true. That's a a fair point. And I mean, so like. They, they're like, okay, they're both good, whatever. Like the gas trap issue, that's not something that people, you're not going to be able to figure that out unless you're doing prolonged testing. And like you said, they're desperate for semi-automatics because that's obviously where the world's going. So they're trying to get stuff out there. But the gas trap issue is a big problem. And um, Danny, do you understand why it's a big problem? You mean the fouling? Yes. I mean, can you explain it to our viewers that don't might not know? Because gas traps aren't really a thing that people really run into a whole lot anymore. Okay, yeah, yeah. So for everyone who doesn't know what it is, the gas trap, it's sort of like this uh, cone-shaped thing off the muzzle of the uh, the muzzle of the rifle. The bullet leaves, and the little bit of gas that's like behind the uh, the bullet as it leaves the muzzle gets trapped in this little cone a split second before the bullet leaves and all the gas leaves out the front, but it impinges on this, um, but it's basically like a, like a, a piston ring that goes around the barrel that 
back. So then essentially from there back, it's like a, it's like a short stroke piston sort of, which is back on the gun. Yep. Um, but instead of like a hole in the barrel and the gas going up and hitting the, the piston, the end of the barrel is trapped by this cone and then hits this ring and then pushes the ring back. And what's the problem with that, Danny? Oh, when you got that much muzzle blast coming out of a gun, it's going to, it's going to build up carbon fouling and get dirty and eventually stop working. Yes, because it cools off very quickly at the end. And so it just builds up, builds up, builds up, builds up. And then your gun doesn't function. Yeah. So yes. it was a very late, I've heard it was a very, um, it's a rifle. And as long as the guys kept them clean, like it wasn't so bad, but they, they definitely had to stay on top of it. Yeah. Well, I mean, that, that was part of it. Also just the, um, Walther's bolt carrier design riding on the outside of the receiver. Um, was a huge problem for that that rifle especially like in the winter you got ice building building up on the outside of the rails there's a dog and there is she must have heard something sorry about that that's okay it was neat seeing the uh it's it's okay man it was neat seeing uh in range tvs doing their mud test on the uh on the g43 though yes has the same like operating system as the don't get me started on those guys. <laughs> well, uh, I'm. But it was. It was go ahead, Dan. Oh, I just. I, I want to see them do it because that particular gun has a shooter's kit in it, which greatly reduces the um, the bolt carrier velocity. I want to ah. see them. I want to see them do it with how the gun was originally built and see if it can overcome the mud. I, I think by, I commented just on it. Overpowering. <laughs> everything <laughs> or it just jams I, and then just destroys itself yeah i want to see that too yeah but that's i think i commented on the video and i asked if it had the shooter's kit in it it, I, it has if they've taken that to matches they must have you know carl must have done that i know you know i know he would have done his research and, and done everything correctly on it but with the reduced piston in it or you know the reduced uh gas system it's not going to be as reliable as the mud, so more longevity, yeah. But if you're going to mud test it, oh man, do you, do you know that it, if it does have the shooter's kit in it? Um, I I know it does. Well, I I don't know if it did when they tested it, but I know it does. Carl put one on it, so my assumption is that he didn't bother taking it off, you know, to do a mud test. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, man, it, it, yeah, that that I, I wish he would have said. He said like the gun. He said something like the gun's all original or something like that, or the gun's all specifically mentioned the gas system, which is like would have been really important to know for that test. Yeah, but uh, yeah, if, if you watched his comparison with the G forty one video, he says this rifle has a shooter's kit in it, but other oh. you know, it, it works the same. He yeah, he he explains how it, it just changes the the gas hole diameter i don't have a shooter's kit in mine yet so maybe i need to mud test mine then do it <laughs> talk about triggering people yeah yeah i know maybe i can do that i'll mud test that i'll mud test the human i'll mud test i'll mud test your svt that's a uh, dirty that's another one i want to see tested the human because that looks like it would be pretty 
pretty mud resistant. Yeah. Like if you th like if the SVT looks sealed up. <laughs> well, which uh so after Danny, after the the Gewehr 41 or the Gewehr 41, what did they go to? Or what happened, I should say. Yeah, yeah, so Walther won the program. They they went with that uh, Eventually, I guess the I guess the government loosened up its uh, restriction on you know drilling the uh, drilling the barrel for. What well, you got to think about something. What did they encounter? Well, it was well they you talking about the rifle wise? Yeah. What did they capture and went shit? This is how we should do this. Oh yeah yeah. So yeah they so in the when the Germans invaded the Soviet Union they were in the process. Like they were going to replace all M9130s. All the Mosins were being replaced with SVTs. Ratio was, but it was like at a pretty incredibly high percentage of Russian troops had had SVT, uh, SVT38s, and SVT40 rifles. And one, uh, one out of three. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was they. They had a bunch of them. And you know, even if you're like everything's going fine, you're winning or whatever. When you're passing these guys and capturing these guys and everything or, or fighting them to the death, you know, because the Russians fought to the, you know, held on bitterly in some cases, most of them have, or, or a large percentage of them have, you know, semi-automatics and sub-guns and the, and the Germans have bolt actions. It's like, someone's got something's got to give. And that was the, yeah, encountering the SVTs were the, was a big incentive to start the G41 program. And then I think eventually, I bet after a lot of the issues with the gas trap system, and then they, then the then the government, you know, probably loosened up and then let the uh, let Walther put the uh, let Walther put the short stroke gas piston on the on the G forty one, and then of course they did some other changes to it. They you know simplified uh, you know the rifle, uh, most notably strips uh, switching to stamped from the milled milled um, the uh, the the bolt. Yeah, the uh, the receiver, the the top of the the bolt housing. Yeah, I guess what that's what you'd call it. <laughs> I think of the name for that. It's a weird. Uh, it's like a weird kind of system, so it's hard for me to me remember. It's not the bolt carrier. The bolt carrier is like the part that flies back and forth on top of the gun, but it's like the bolt housing or ah, yeah. guy. Guys are going to be guys. Guys will let us know in the comments. I'm sure for what we're, we're missing out on. But that was was milled on the G41. They switched it to stamp on the G43. They, yeah, and they, they straight up copied the SVT. Added a detachable box mag too. Oh yeah, made it. To, yeah, they copied that with the SVT as well. They made the made the ten round. Yeah, detachable box magazine. They uh, also enlarged the trigger guard. If if you compare a G forty three with a G forty one trigger guard, it's like twice the size. <laughs> yeah, and you could tell that's that's directly from those cold Russian winners. Yep. <laughs> yeah, huh. and the and the. And the G43 was a much better gun. And, you know, they overgassed it, of course, because they wanted, you know, they wanted the reliability. So, well, that... oh, sorry, I was just reading a little fact here. Do you know why they switched it from the G43 to the K43? I assume uh, it was something that Hitler wanted. My understanding was that it was a propaganda move because calling, like, at the time, calling rifles Gewehrs is, was a very like old-fashioned term with militaries, and like all newfangled guns had carabiners or had the name carabiner in it. Being called a Gewehr was like an old-sounding um, was like an older-sounding term, and 
So I, I heard it was mostly like propaganda to make right. people feel better about their rifle. Here's the other thing: it's actually shorter than a K98K. It's according to this, it's two centimeters shorter. So it made no sense to call it a Gewehr because it's actually shorter than the carbiner. <laughs> so it's like, yeah, that's why they would switch it because I mean, it maybe makes sense as far as why they would explain it with the the propaganda, Danny, but. In reality, it's not a Gewehr because it's actually shorter than the carbine. That goes back to like the whole why you call something a carbine, because um, the Germans were fielding guns. Are you that back there as... measuring it? Is that what you're doing? Is that what I'm hearing you do? Yes, dude. I, I literally have my my uh, my K43 and a K98K side by side, and it's dude the the K43 is just a little bit longer. According to this, it's two like centimeters the, shorter. All length of both is the 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 K K forty three is just like like a BS half a centimeter or something. Longer. It is just a little bit longer. Well, that's uh, that's propaganda debunked. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> I was wondering no, I if he was going to listen to me and actually stand up and measure it. Oh, I did, man. I totally did. I dropped my recorder, he so was I was like, quiet for a minute until I, so uh, he was like, I, until I turned it back I on. I just imagine Danny shot out of his chair and was like, I don't believe this bullshit. Well, it was so funny because I just happened to have behind me in my chair is a K90K and the K43 side by side. Like, it, So it was, uh -huh. it was too good. It was too perfect, too perfect timing. They just happened to both be sitting there, and K43 is a little bit longer. Just a tiny bit. But no, but going back, what is it? The the, the K98B, a uh, it's like a, it's the same length as the Gewehr 98. Called a it's called a carabiner. It gets real it gets real weird with the um, with the nomenclature. But I think it was more of a propaganda thing, old fashioned or whatever to call to call uh, guns um, Gewehrs. So calling them carabiners was like. I mean, probably it probably has something to do with it because that was the name that they used back when it was, when it was um, previously before Hitler. I mean, yeah. so the next the next gun program that that I'd like to mention with the Germans is the uh, the MKB forty two program, which resulted in ultimately the it ultimately resulted in the uh yeah the mp43 mp44 stg44 so they so the german government they wanted um it wasn't like a big trial it's one of those like it almost sounds like it was like a trial that was going on on the sidelines but uh, some pretty big arm manufacturers jumped in you know jumped into the trial but they wanted something for uh Seven mil or the eight millimeter Kurt, so seven point nine two by thirty three. That would uh, that would shoot that, and of course they, um, you know, with, with a large capacity magazine, and they wanted something that was kind of like a submachine gun that shot this, uh, you know, eight millimeter Kurtz uh, cartridge. The two the two main competitors to the program was um, Walther and uh, and uh, Heinel. Yep, cool and. Heinel was the more successful one of the two. Of course, it was uh, Hugo Schmeiser that was really that was really behind that gun. And, and that guy, he did some pretty pretty incredible work. Forty two, and like if you look at that thing, that's a realistic looking gun. And I can only imagine like what dudes thought of that when they first you know got their hands on them, like when they were first handing them out. 
that's the gun that ultimately turned into the world's first assault rifle. Mm. The way... Mm. Oh god, I, I said it. The world's first assault rifle. There's a lot of oh. people that disagree with you on that. Oh gosh. What, yeah, I what know. would they say? Even your the own first assault rifle. Even your own channel, Danny, where you suggested the Vetterly would be considered one. Oh yeah, yeah. So I think yeah. So cold terms of what an assault rifle is today, yeah, probably the MKB forty two was like the, the first assault rifle. Except wise, if you're talking about a rifle that shoots uh, an intermediate cartridge with a large magazine fit it that's just it was a bit of a stretch in that video i i i know it was a bit of a stretch <laughs> most people they say well oh gosh what was that what was the gun in world war one that every that a lot of the uh the people say was like a, an assault rifle the name the uh was it the the mondragon the mondragon oh, that was the first semi-auto rifle well, that was a seven millimeter mauser that was a full power cartridge uh, Fedorov. Oh, the Fedorov. Ah, the AVT. That's what I'm thinking of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the, so a lot of people say that that was the first assault rifle, right? Because it because it has a uh, big magazine. But I would say it is a huge stretch. Five Japanese is an intermediate cartridge, and I think that's really where it falls <laughs> apart with that gun. I always forget that that's chambered in 6.5 Japanese. Yeah. Danny, it's, like it's another 6.5 you're going to need. Yeah, I got to add that to the list. I got to, like, break into whatever museum the only one that exists is at. There, uh, shoot, there was one that sold on Gunbroker a few years ago. Okay. Oh, New uh, strategy. I got to find out who bought that. Do it. <laughs> but uh, I can't imagine there's more than, like, single digits in the United States. Yeah, so to me, like an assault rifle is a true intermediate cartridge. 6.5 Japanese is not really intermediate. Rip, attachable high capacity magazine, uh, like a short, a short package barrel, like under 18 inches, preferably, and then like lightweight. So I just, it doesn't really fit. It's a, it's a stretch. It's way more of like a BAR. Like you could say a BAR was like the first assault rifle before, before you could almost say like the Fedorov was. I mean, it's not. I get your point, Danny. I would, I mean, I think most of your it, point relies on the fact that it's in a 6.5 caliber by, that's a standard size route. It's not like it's a shortened casing. Yeah, yeah. It's 6.5 by 50. I think, um, like, what if it had been like seven six two by forty five you know like uh whatever the what's that uh is it uh what's that one the seven six two by forty five danny oh um yeah, I'm trying to think of that one yeah real hot yeah you know if they would have made that smaller and they put it in like a real hot pistol cartridge, I would say that that was real that that'd be much closer to being the first, but oh yeah. This is quite the rabbit hole to go down. Yeah. <laughs> Why don't we start on this? The so, SCG-44? When we got into talking about the Federal Optima? Yep. All right, so, so the... Assault rifle. The, I guess the point about this was the, the guns ruined by military requirements because pretty much like everybody knows that the amount 
they should have immediately been mass produced. Oh yeah. Well, like, you know, the, the um the SVT was almost ruined by Russian military requirements. Oh yeah, do 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 tell more. Oh well, the um the Russians uh, held a, a trial for their new rifle in 1936, which was the same year the U.S. rifle trials trials were held, um, and Semenov won the competition um, with his his AVS. Um, so Tokarev rifle his rifle almost wasn't adopted um the the russian military almost got the avs 36 instead of the svt crazy because that but, that avs 36 is it's something <laughs> <laughs> that's a, a yeah it it's it works but it's way too uh what do you what do you call it Complicated is is really Rube, Rube Goldberg. That's that's what it is. It's a Rube Goldberg device of a gun. <laughs> I'm reading this as that many many of them went into the Winter War without being cleaned off of their storage grease, which then froze solid. <laughs> oh, 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 oh man, that's that's pretty much everything that Russia that went into the Winter War froze solid. All right, so what this is saying is is that. Uh, this is just really bad. So the AVS was not a satisfactory design. The operating mechanism was overcomplicated, and the problem was made worse by the rifle's construction, which let dirt get inside the weapon. The rifle was also particular about ammunition quality. You know, Russia, you can get really high-quality ammunition, right? Especially during <laughs> wartime. The muzzle brake design also proved to be a failure. The rifle was nearly uncontrollable in automatic fire. Some of the problem was traced to the magazine, which was deemed too long. The production was fully halted in 1938, and a, di- and a new competition was started with Tokarev and Simonov doing the designs. That's when the SVT-38 came in. Yep. Did you, uh, you've seen uh, Forgotten Weapons, Ian, shooting the, the AVS-36, right? That was, that was a good video. <laughs> it, uh... I've, I've honestly never seen a gun launch brass like that gun did. Yeah. He he could fire a full magazine and the gun would be empty before the first cartridge hit the ground. <laughs> uh, it's insane. The Germans did capture a bunch of AVSs. Picture of like a German soldier using a, using a AVS 36. They did get the design, but I'm pretty sure they were like, nope. <laughs> we're not we're not reverse engineering this or nothing we're just it uh it yeah it, it was Tokarev definitely had the better design but uh unfortunately like often happened in the soviet union the uh party members get to decide what rifles adopted and Simonov was a a party member of po- politics yeah, are you saying that political connections influence choices rather than actual quality of work? That must have been a freak thing and only in the Soviet Union. Yeah, that must have been something else. to do with communism or something. <laughs> I don't understand what you're talking about. So 
uh, about the um, like about MP MP44s and stuff in World War II is that the uh, the Germans they couldn't make a lot of ammunition for that. Like they definitely, I mean, they could make any enough of anything, right? But um, enough of the eight millimeter Kurt. So it was something that if you do the math out of guns, the total amount of ammunition, something like that, that the soldiers, they only were, they, they basically only had like them out, but it was something like, it was like five. They only had like five rounds a day, something like that. Like if you, if you do the math, like each soldier had five rounds to shoot like per day, MP, MP44s. And then they were hey. issued less and less magazines. So a lot of times they would have to, uh, they would have like maybe one or two magazines and then they would carry like a, like a box or they'd have magazine, like a spare ammunition and they'd have to reload the mag and then put it in their gun and then shoot only like a section of that gun of the magazines and of the ammunition was like a big, big hindrance to its combat effectiveness. A miracle if a, if a guy, you know, happened to have you know, all the magazines and, you know, they were all full of ammunition and everything, you know, that would be great for that dude. But that was, that was really, really not the case. Um, like if, uh, for, for a soldier issued one would be, uh, that's a mag, like these mag pouches that go on the belt on each side and each, each one holds three. So they would have a total of six magazines on them. And then the one in the gun times that number went down and down and down. Um, even with uh, even with G43s, originally uh, soldiers were supposed to be issued at least two, so they would have like a, or they would be issued three, like one with a gun and then two spares. Yeah. To a point where they weren't even issued spare magazines, and then it didn't even matter that a G43 had like a removable box magazine because they just it had to be stripper clip fed. Yep. Same with the SVTs. Yeah. Yeah. Were they? Or do you know if Russian soldiers were even issued spare magazines for the SVTs? Um, that was the plan originally. It was supposed to be one with a gun and then three spares. But then when uh, Germany invaded and they were just trying to pump everything out as fast as possible, it was just the one with the gun. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that sucks. So it was... So the Germans really failed this is you know probably more the more the obvious ones are the ones we'll talk about but the germ they really failed to see the potential and to start pumping them out when they could have because if they uh the the first mkb was being designed like in the around 1940 i think enough on that the germans could have really started pumping them out and that's back when they could you know manufacture quality stuff too yeah well i mean uh, they just they missed it they missed the bus they like i mean they kept missing missing the bus on this gun like year <laughs> after year it could have been something you know but it was well and then for the longest time i never understood why there were so many different names for it and that's just because bureaucracy once again they had to keep making the name different to keep hiding it yeah yeah so what i no i've never read any like primary source of this but so the mkb so mkb is uh machine and carabiner or like they they put carabiner like in the name you know it's it's newfangled gun so it's a like a machine carbine is a lot better of a term really for what it is than machine pistol the MP designation but yep. supposedly what I heard is it was shut down like they were like nope you're not doing this anymore 
think they said Hitler did it. Like, was like, no, no more new rifles. We're not making any so, more rifles. So that yeah, essentially that Hitler issued an ult like a, a halt on all new rifle development, and this is true. He did do this. There is a documentation of that. There is like he issued a halt on new rifle development and focused solely on machine pistol development because that's what he thought the what they needed the most at this time period. Yeah, yeah, and of course the whole like you know assault rifle intermediate cartridge was like way too new for them to to recognize. So they they pretty much stopped the whole MKB program, which was gaining a lot of momentum. Yep. Well, they turned it into turned it into what? They turned. I, I'm sorry. I thought I thought you were gonna say something. Yeah. So they uh. <laughs> eventually went into the you know into the MPs, you know, like the MP43, MP44. Um, a lot now the gun did change a lot from the 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 mkb 42 h43 like a lot changed so like they were luckily like they were still working on the gun behind the scenes like somebody really could tell the potential of the gun yep uh, and a lot of thought went into the mp mp43s man like that's why it's you know hmg the the uh the company that's making the reproductions that's like one of the reasons why they're having such a hard time making a reproduction of that gun. Amazing amount of like kraut <laughs> went into making the 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 gun that it's just like it's very hard for even like a you know with all the technology of today for us to like reverse engineer and make a direct copy of something like that. But so they pretty much they took B2 was an open bolt design. The H1 was open bolt. And they merged it with the the Walther MKB forty two. I made it a much made it a much much better gun, but yeah, yeah, just another another great concept by you know a mili military requirements. You know what what high, you know what what uh, militaries think they should have or shouldn't have. Yeah, well, I mean, regarding the uh, MKB program, Hitler himself personally ordered them to stop testing with um eight millimeter kurtz he he wanted a full power you know battle rifle cartridge uh as far as i can tell he was fine with them developing a new you know assault full power assault rifle um which uh they they did design a few um at the same time with the 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 MKB the Hanel designs um, like Gusloff had a full power eight millimeter MKB forty two design, but uh, he Hitler specifically said no intermediate cartridges because a, a lot of militaries at the time also <laughs> wanted full power cartridges for some trying to fight the last war. Yeah, that's true. I've 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 heard the same thing. I've just never seen any documentation, and I'm just a little like of repeating what I've heard. You know what I mean? Kind of like what we said before, like all the old misconceptions. Yeah. Well, I mean, I I heard that from uh, Forgotten Weapons. So take yeah. that now, what you will. He's more reputable than Joe from down the street. <laughs> that is true. That is true. But now he doesn't get everything right i know this is crazy to say it's like blasphemy man it really is there's like a <laughs> there's like an ian dogma out there mistake sometimes he, in his videos and he does give out incorrect information he and so is like 
gun Jesus. I know, but like I don't take everything he says as gospel, and I know like he it is he's like literal gun gospel, man. Like he's gun <laughs> Jesus, and everything he says is the truth automatically. Well, he's 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 made. I, Aaron, I think you know some something that he that mistake that he made, right? The Siamese Mauser video he did is actually incorrect. A lot of incorrect information in it. Yeah, and he did. And a, that is, the, yeah, he, I'm he, not he like he put out an article on his website that explained the, some of the corrections that he had, but he never redid the video. So the video is what most people go for, and it's actually not correct. And he has an article that explains what he didn't do correctly, but it doesn't matter because nobody reads that. And nobody's going to read read the article on it, and that's the thing. And it's then I get it, like, he, he, he puts out a video a day, and he's done that for, like, years, and that is phenomenal. And, you know, not, like, no one person can do it. Like, not even Gun Jesus can perfect every single time. So I know he said it I, every now and then, like, when he talks about, like, Swedish Mausers, like, his, the, the M94 video that he did, he said something in there that, like, wasn't so, I don't take everything. This is, uh, yeah, we'll get some crap for that. Well, anyway, um, but I, I actually found out something interesting, Danny. We were talking about the SGT44. I do know something that originally was chambered in 8mm curves. What's that? The FNFAO. Oh. So the first huh. the first prototype was in 8mm curves. Um, and then the prototype was continued to be developed until finally it was uh, presented in 280 British which was a 7x43 millimeter cartridge. And so the FNFAL was going to be a 7 millimeter cartridge, a 7x43, so a nice intermediary cartridge. And what happened? What do you think? Can you guys take a guess? NATO. <laughs> the United States. The United States said okay. it has to be 30 caliber. Yep. And then they adopted it, right? That's why we use the FNFAL to this. Oh, wait, no, we didn't do that. <laughs> So the the United States just changed the trajectory of one of I mean one of the I mean to be fair it's one of the world's most recognizable assault rifles. Um, it's one of I would say the top three. I mean or maybe top five for sure. Um, and at least into the rest of the world, maybe not to the United States, but the rest of the world they for sure know this gun. Yeah. And. Um, it's it was changed by the U.S. from being an intermediary. Well, I would consider that seven by forty-three would be an intermediary to me. I could, I would think that would be a lot more controllable than seven sixty-two NATO. Oh yeah, yeah yeah for sure. And that's you know that's one of the craziest cartridge switchovers. Oh, it got it got shorter at least, but very very similar. Going from thirty out six to seven point six two by fifty-one. Like, yeah, it's a little bit shorter, a little, you know, they downgrade a little bit, but like, it's, it's, that's one of those, what's, what was the point? Well, the point was it's ballistically 30 at six. I mean, but it's smaller. Yeah, it's, it's shorter. It's modern, 30 at six modernized. Yeah. But the point is ballistically, it's the same, and that's what they wanted. Yeah. And then because it's smaller, <laughs> then you save money. The same bullet and their same rifle. And it's so for their, for the M14. So it, it, because it's smaller, Danny, it saves money. Money. Again, with the money. Uh, it's not real money, man. It's just, it's just all play money. It's just government play money. Yeah, they can make more if they want. 
I always I just, just print it. I would I would love to try an FAL in an intermediary cartridge. Yeah, yeah, that's you know like how the how there's G threes and five five six like 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 an FAL and five five six. Isn't how, how that would isn't, be? Isn't that an FNC? I know, I know, but not like not an FNC, but like. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you shot my FAL, Danny, didn't you? Yeah. I mean, does it feel any that much different than anything else that you've shot that seven six two? I mean, it it feels like a semi-auto thirty caliber big boy. You know, it's. I mean, it's smooth and nice. Um, you could tell you're shooting shooting a large cartridge. Well, and then you have um, the the L one A one sights too. Yeah, yeah. Because my my FNFAL is an L one A one, so it has the the British peep sight, which is very handy. Nice. I, that is that is a rifle I need to pick up sometime. Well, I got very lucky and purchased it when nobody else wanted it. There, uh, there was one in in a shop a few months ago, but I I was saving up for something else. Couldn't get it at the time. Oh well, there uh, there will be another one, I'm sure. Yeah, I've I always tried to get into like battle rifles, and I could just never I could never quite get into them. Well, it's uh, like the I, whole battle rifle term is like weird. Like going back to like nomenclature oddities, the civilian <laughs> battle rifle term that we use, chambered rifles. Like battle rifle is so generic. Like any rifle made since the 1870s is a battle rifle. But like that's that's a semi-automatic 308 caliber box fed from upper box magazine. Yeah. I mean yeah. that's what it was listed in the auction as was a it was it said 308 rifle on it, but yeah. Well, we've been so talking that, so that's for a weird like one. So an hour and a half. Yeah, yeah, we'll we'll wrap it up here pretty soon. Um, well, that's just one. Yeah, I was just going to say like it's like a weird kind thing. Kind of a weird segue that that we were talking about the SDG 44, and then that actually ties into the FNFAL, and it kind of, they all kind of string together, you know. Well, I mean that—that's basically weapons. The history of weapons development. Yeah, I mean you can do that, but <laughs> yeah. it's, like, it's kind of neat how you can just like pick through the the timeline of stuff and people go, "Oh, yeah, that's a good idea." Yeah, that's one of my favorite things about like historical firearms is sort of like the spider web, you know, like of how they're all connected. I mean, you really makes you want to like collect them all right so like you could definitely for sure connect the mg 43 mg 42 to mon liquor's 1885 design which was a full auto black powder 11 millimeter verndal cartridge yeah there'd be yeah there'd be some some connecting the two no i know there is it's actually the reciprocating barrel huh yeah mon liquor came up with that in 1885 but once again, oh. eleven millimeter Wurndle black powder cartridge, not exactly a great idea. <laughs> Are you trying to say that he did it before it was cool? I'm saying that there was another rifle that he developed, which was a semi-automatic that was fed by an in block, and when the in block was empty, that it was ejected out of the top of the receiver with a large, loud ping. I'm just saying that that came out in 1908, and that's kind of weird coincidence. It, it did it did the ping before it was cool man yeah i mean it, it was also a short stroke gas pistol that's weird i don't, I don't know you're talking about uh, if the... you sorry what you want to go you want to go dan 
Danny. Oh, were you were you talking about the Mondragon? No, actually, Monlicker had a couple of prototype rifles, which are in okay. one of my books, and um, one of the ones that never went anywhere was a uh, design that he had, which is essentially the M1 before the M1 was even designed as an idea. Okay. So it's it's a it's a short stroke gas piston. He 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 realized very quickly with the straight pull design that converting um to converting it from a turn bolt where where you had to to rotate it manually and being able to figure out how to rotate it via the um the grooves and the slots he figured out very quickly that means that you could theoretically somehow automatically chamber the next cartridge either use in using the gas from the previous explosion so he figured that out very quickly so a lot of his designs are him trying to convince people that semi-automatics are a thing and but most of these are pre-world war one so you got to think that a lot of people aren't going to be super interested because they're kind of comp they're over complicated really and they're expensive to produce and they're also not seeing the benefit of it because they haven't had a large-scale war where they're like i don't really see the benefit of this is back when you know the united states had a, a magazine cut off on on their rifle because they didn't want their soldiers using too much ammunition. <laughs> so it's like, so like the idea of giving a soldier full semi-automatic fire was insane. Like that was an absolutely insane thing to do to a, to somebody. So like, um, that he never really got anywhere with his designs. But the I would really recommend. There's a book by. Um, hold on, I have it behind me. There's a book by uh, Walter H.B. Smith, and it actually is a translation of a German book by um, a guy's name that I'm not even going to attempt to pronounce. But <clears throat> it's called Monlicker Rifles and Pistols, Famous Sporting and Military Weapons. And it's not got a lot of good history behind the designs, but he goes into every single patent, basically, that Monlicker ever filed and he goes into the technical details of each rifle and pistol and there are some very interesting um ideas in here that just like i'm looking right now at the um the 1885 automatic machine gun uh light machine gun uh which was in 11 millimeter verndal and it's just like what he designed a, a recoiling barrel and a detachable magazine in 1885? Huh. That, that was way ahead of its time. And that is why Monlicker is like the perfect like to like if you're a gun hipster. <laughs> Thanks, Danny. <laughs> he did it all before it was cool, man. Huh. I, I guess I've got some research to do. That is some, that is some really fantastic uh fantastic facts though man about his that he was able to do all that so so long ago and i think othias said that too right that he's just this greatly underappreciated yeah othias and i have a very large crush on mon liquor and his designs and that uh it's obvious that he is extremely underappreciated but uh for the same reason the m95s are not appreciated is because it's hard to have national pride whenever your nation is gone. Huh. Because he was an Austro-Hungarian. 
that uh yeah <laughs> yeah I, uh, that sucks man yeah um johnson's we'll, the, same, uh, the same way yeah actually i mean yeah i mean there's a lot of people that they get overshadowed yeah, johnson Peterson was was one of those underappreciated gun, we really gun developers. Do a, we should really do a, an underappreciated gun designers episode, Danny. Oh, yeah. yeah Where that, we just that shit on Colt the whole time. <laughs> well, yeah. you, you know what Johnson did right after World War II, right? He, uh, he, he bought, went out and he bought some old uh, Gatling guns. Like... I, I, I don't know exactly what model, but like black powder Gat Gatling guns, um, and he uh, hooked a, a little um, engine up to the crank. He wanted to see how fast he could make the Gatling guns shoot, huh. and and his conclusion was effectively there there was no maximum rate of fire. The rate of fire was whatever the the RPMs were on the engine. So he took that to the U.S. military, and led that led to the uh, modern Vulcan cannon, as he was the first one to to hook a an engine up to a, a Gatling gun, and see how fast it could shoot. <laughs> wow, wow, that's cool. Good question, but I wonder if that makes if the the engine attached to the crank makes a machine gun. I don't... crank. You know, you can have you can own a Gatling gun in the United States. Like you can own one that has a crank it's, it's technically um the pulling of the trigger firing multiple rounds is considered a uh, machine gun and that's by state law in illinois but i'm assuming that's how federal law defines it too i would assume they just copied federal law and if it's like if it's like a switch like an electrical switch yeah it it, it gets tricky in terms of that but i believe that the Gatling guns, as you're referring to them, are because they're mechanical. It's not considered a, a, a trigger. Uh, I would I would assume that because it's uh, multiple chambers, it, each chamber is only firing once. So by definition, I don't think it's a machine gun. But I mean, now bump stocks are machine guns, and those aren't even guns. So <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the machine gun lacking the gun part. For a while, the ATF said that shoelaces were machine guns. Remember that? Oh yeah. Good. That was that was gold, man. That was a classic. I mean, um, lo lots of things are legally classified as machine guns that aren't guns. Like uh, my buddy has a lightning link. It's just a little piece of sheet metal. That's a machine gun. <laughs> Yeah, a really expensive little piece of metal. Oh yeah, <laughs> or like um with the uh, car the the M1 well M2 carbines any uh any receiver that has M2 stamped on it is a machine gun. Oh yeah, even if it's even if it never had the parts in it. Yeah, well the uh the parts are all drop in, so so they didn't modify the receiver in any way when they made the M2 carbines, they just stamped yeah. M2 instead of M1. So but now... They, but I think it was... Wasn't it the CMP sold? Yeah. Oh, and, uh, that... and now they're registered. 
or destroyed. <laughs> I I was pretty sure that there was some like loophole then where like you kind of could have an M2 if you could prove you got it like from the CMP or something like that. Uh, I would imagine you could if as long as you registered it. But I don't know. That's something to look up. All I know is legally, if you have a receiver stamped M2, it's a machine gun. Yeah. Wow. An M2. I'd like to. I'd like to shoot it. I heard they're real fun. I, I would. I would love to get my hands on one. That uh. That seems like like the perfect assault rifle. <laughs> yeah. Not not, not yeah. the first, but. Yeah. Yeah. That's a. No. That's a neat. That's a neat concept. Is wondering whether or not, like the M1 or the M2 carbine, was a uh, was was a, is an assault rifle somehow. Well, I think the M2 is because you know it's select fire. And it's an intermediate cartridge. It uh, it doesn't have a pistol grip though, so it doesn't meet your definition. It's real, cl- real, real close. <laughs> I don't, I don't know. The pistol grip might be a nitpicky one, but close. Well, uh, yeah, we'll we'll wrap this up for tonight then. Um, Let's see. How should I do this here, Aaron? Well, I was going to say... Um, I don't really remember what I was going to say. Thanks, uh, thanks for having me on. I, I know we kind of yeah. wandered wandered everywhere. <laughs> we kind of do that. We kind of come in to some of these with a little bit more structure. Sometimes we just want to just talk. Yeah. I kind of figured that we'd have a... This is one of those broad enough topics that we would uh, we would digress quite a lot and or the place with a topic like this. We just try to piss off the most people as possible, you know? Yeah, that's really our goal. We're just trying to make the most gun owners angry. Well, I mean, we probably succeeded. I I can do that real quick by saying I think the 1941 Johnson was better than the Garand. So... Ooh, oh, now that is take. blasphemy right here. Hot takes. Them there's fighting words. Dan with hot takes. I have... I have both. I've shot them both. Um, and I would take the Johnson over the Garand if I was going into even even with that stupid rotary magazine. I would think that <laughs> I think I speak for Danny when I say either one of us would like would gladly take your Johnson. It's a it's a pretty big Johnson, so are they heavy? They are the exact same weight as a Garand, but thicker, it's all right, it's shorter, it's a little bit thicker, rounder. The the um is Dan, the same Dan, I'm, length, I'm screwing with you, man. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh he man, was still, he was gonna go. It's he too was, good not to. I was it. trying. I was trying not to, man. Do it. No, I was just make. I was just asking if it was a little bit. You know, it it, it wasn't as long, but it was it was thick. E- <laughs> you no, know, it's not the size of the gun, man. It's the it's the power that it packs. Yeah, you gotta have that thirty caliber. Well, ten ten is better than eight. That's what I've been told. Well, <laughs> with that hot take. <laughs> oh, man. Well, I I will so, say uh... I will say that I'll 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 give a little teaser maybe that I'm working on my wife to come out and visit with Danny and his wife, and if we do that, it'll be some point in July. And we should be able to do a couple of videos with that, and and I have some good ideas for those videos. And it does involve Mon Liquor, which Danny doesn't really care for, but I don't care. 
<laughs> what did you say? It cut out right after it does involve blank and the suspense is killing me. It does involve mod liquor. Oh, mod liquors. Yeah. Is well, uh is your wife is your wife okay with mod? Yeah, she actually doesn't give a crap about guns, much like Danny's wife. <laughs> it doesn't. It, her eyes glaze over as soon as I start talking about them. So, um, it's it's pretty obvious. But so as I said at the beginning of the episode, I'm going to be getting five more M95s, including a long rifle, and in addition to the two M95s that I already have and the Montlicker 1886 that I have, so we can go. I mean, I'm going to skip a couple of things here with the M88s and the M8890s, but we're going to go whole hog here on Austria-Hungary, and I'm going to describe all of the Monlicker markings and all the other BS that people like to bring up and don't understand, and why Danny calls them a carbine, even though they're not. And even we're going to get into that argument again. But uh, I'm sure Danny's going to cut a lot of this out, or he's just going to keep my insane, tired rambling in here. But whatever. Uh, oh yeah, I'm just I'm letting you dig your own grave. But the other thing I'd like to do, and I've discussed this with Danny before, but not recently, is that we've discussed short um, carbines or short rifles in eight millimeter Mauser, and Danny liked my. Vigero, and I would argue that the Vigero is a great example of a rifle that doesn't get brought up a much, as much for that category of 8mm short rifle. And I wanted to, 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 to try to do a comparison of the K98K and your other oddballs that you have, Danny. I don't remember all their names. Yeah, specifically the, the 9840. That's because right. the, the the Vigero and the 9840 share the same like lineage, shown our designs, so that'll uh, nice comparison because they're both they're both modeled after the K98K as far as like size and handling, so that'll be pretty neat. But one of them's Turnbolt, right? Yeah. Well, no, the the 9840 is as well as your I mean, Vigero. It's turned down. I mean. Oh, oh yeah, 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 yeah. So yeah, that's that's kind of weird. Yeah, the 9840s turned down because like it's the same action as the 35M or like your Vigero, but the bolt turned down. It feels completely different. It's kind of weird. Like you'll 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 see what I'm talking about. Danny has this weird bias when it comes to turn down bolts, Dan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So let's let's ask let's ask Dan what what he thinks first before we Dan, spill the beans. Dan, what do you think? Yeah. Turn down bolt or straight bolt? Uh, well, I'm not talking about battle right. I'm not talking about battle conditions. I'm not talking about in the shit. I'm talking about like your personal preference. I have to say, uh, turn down bolt because it's more compact. God damn it! But I do, I do love the leverage that a straight bolt gives you, and I think the U.S. Crag did it best. With a straight bolt at a 45 degree angle. This is the same non-answer that Othias gave. <laughs> it's the same thing. Because he said the M1917 with his dog leg. And I'm like, that is <laughs> freaking the same non-answer. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, if, if I had to choose one, I would have to say a turn down bolt. Just because it's easier to carry and won't get snagged on the brush when I'm 
walking around. Yeah, man, like turn. I, I'm pretty sure what Athias said was that if it's if it's World War One, fold handle because of the ammunition during World War One was so inconsistent and pretty crappy. So you pretty much need the extra leverage. I past World War One, the ammunition is good enough that you really don't need that extra leverage anymore. Yeah. And if you're shooting like eight millimeter Mauser rifle and you're if you're gonna shoot like Turkish ammo <laughs> and that'll get stuck. And you'll really want a straight bolt if you're shooting Turkish eight millimeter. I was just about to say, yeah, go ahead and shoot Turkish eight millimeter out of your K ninety eight K and tell me how much you love that turndown bolt. Oh, I mean, I've I've done it, man. I've done it. You just work it, but you know, if you just do it, it's just a little bit harder. But you just work the bolt. Yeah. I can't. I can't say I've ever done been in a position where I wanted a straight bolt over a turn down bolt. Oh, I have. I'm not gonna open an a, a M9130 because the stupid brass was freaking frozen in place. Not even brass steel case decided to expand. <laughs> Gotta hit it on the table. And I've I've done that with uh, my why Mosin. Don't, why don't we? Uh, well, let's just let's just finish it out. Let's let's just piss off everybody. Yeah, the Mosin has to be hit open with a tape by a table. That's a quality oh, I, I, quality yeah. firearm right there. I just drop it on the ground. Just throw it. <laughs> first time, way like a long time ago, like. Um, the very first time I saw a Mosin at a shooting range, somebody was hitting it with a hammer. Sounds about right. That's yeah. I mean, it was like, oh, okay, like that's just how you work on those. <laughs> We're over two hours, guys. We need to stop recording. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, um, the teaser for potentially July. Still working on that. Um, I would like to visit with Danny and hang out and do some videos. That'd be fun. And with me having eight Monlicker rifles, we could definitely go into a lot of interesting side tangents there. Um, and Danny has one of his own, too. So that'd be nine different Monlickers. And then you have the other Monlicker designs that you have, as you said. Too bad you got rid of that 35M, though. You could have sold it to me, but you decided to sell it. Oh. If you had the money, I would have sold it to you. I'm just screwing Danny, I know. I told, you, <laughs> I told him to sell it anyway. I, I didn't have the money. What did you buy with it anyway? Yeah, I won't. You bought the Jungman. That's what you bought. You bought the Jungman with that money. I had to get it, man. Yeah, and you bought the 35M solely because I told you to, and it was the hardest thing in the world to sell because nobody knew what it was. Yeah, that was so true. It was hard to sell. That's, that's the thing. You can get a rifle that's really rare and cool, but it's rare. Nobody knows about it, so it's hard to sell, yeah. And you had to find that specific Monlicker collector that was like, I need a 35M. Yeah, it was just a specific dude who happened to be into Hungarian guns. That's, that's what like I told that. you. So I, he knew what it was and wanted I warned it. you when you bought it, too. I was like, nah, this is very niche. Yeah. Yeah, it, was, it was very it was a very niche gun. That's you uh, sure. very, you very did a video for gun. that, didn't you? Yeah, I, I made, yeah. before I oh, get rid wait. of guns, I typically always try to do a video That's on right. It. Yeah, I, you I did didn't. it in the rain, and you can barely hear what you're saying. Yeah, it was poor. I mean, it's Washington, so it was pouring down rain. But I bought that canopy tent that I was shooting underneath specifically, like so I could shoot the 35M before I sold it. That's right. That's right. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks, Dan, for coming. Um, Dan is a member of our Patreon. Patreon, excuse me. 
And if you'd like to consider donating to our Patreon, there'll be a link in the description of this podcast and a link in the description when we have it up on YouTube. Uh, our YouTube channel is Milserp World, as well as our Facebook page. And we also have t-shirts now. Danny has been sporting the t-shirts in all of our latest videos, right, Danny? Yep. And I actually... They are sweet shirts. I have a t-shirt now as well, so that's pretty cool. And if you use the promo code MilserpWorld, that's two words, MilserpWorld, you get 10% off your order, right? Danny, you get 10% off your order? Yep, 10%. Yeah. So, and that's not just our shirts, that's 10% off the whole order, so kind of neat um nice. yeah it works for everything and yeah and he, and uh gunpowder tees gives uh free shipping on all of his stuff so yeah and they're and they're high quality these. shirts they're not these aren't cheaply made these aren't gonna like fall apart in three seconds they're they're nice shirts so uh, i'm very happy with uh the one yeah. i was pleasantly surprised man i wear them i bought uh just so that I could wear them all the time and not not have to worry about you know wearing like any certain one out and yeah it's a good, good quality, quality t-shirt. t-shirt and I really love the huge I mean we weren't we weren't sure how big the designs were we we just told them what we wanted so we were expecting it to be like maybe a, a, a like in the pocket like a I don't know like a four and a half uh, five inch like thing on the side and a little thing on the back for the Mauser logo. The Mauser logo is the full back of the shirt. Yeah, I thought that was pretty awesome. I thought it would be real small too, but no, it's a yeah, and it's, it's a huge and it's logo. Nicely detailed, awesome. and it's like the full back of your shirt. And I'm like, that's just really cool. If you just want a shirt that's got a huge Mauser logo on it, that's what you go for. All right. Um, once again, Dan, thanks for coming, and Danny, thanks you for um, coming on. Uh, Danny, do you have anything you want to plug, Dan? Um, not really. All right, uh, Danny. Danny, did I miss any plugs? Cool. No, I think that's cool. Thanks for thanks for coming on, Dan. Um, I'd like to get other um, you know, other other uh, patrons on the show. You know, the only reason why we're still doing this and we're still able to do this is because of the the money that the the patrons um you know give us every month. It keeps these episodes from being deleted. So reason why the one you're listening to is still available is because uh because of the money that the patrons donate to us so yep really appreciate it and uh yeah oh, glad i could help out in a small way yeah yeah we, uh, we we greatly appreciate it all right thanks guys and i'm gonna say good night and stop recording <laughs>